Elrod, we are less than two weeks from the Iowa caucuses. I'm excited. I'm, I'm really, I'm ready for the first people to caucus and the first people to vote. You know, we've been talking about this election, this primary for so long. Um, I think we're going to see record turnout in Iowa. I think we're going to see record turnout throughout all the primary states. People are so fired up to vote, exercise their right. Um, by the way, not a privilege, but their right, right i.e. Right. Ron DeSantis from Governor of Florida. Um, because there is so much excitement in this primary and also a lot of people who are just so ready to get rid of Donald Trump. So yep. it's going to be exciting. Yep. Um, also this week, another major event is happening, uh, and that is the Senate trial of impeached president Donald J. Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, that starts uh, early on Tuesday. Um, and it's going to have a significant effect on this campaign in the sense that it is taking uh, three of the top candidates Mm -hmm. off the trail potentially for two weeks. What do you think that's going to, what impact do you think that's going to have on, on the campaign in Iowa? You know, it's, it's unprecedented. So it's going to be interesting. You know, part of me thinks that it's not going to have the impact that the media and that we've been talking about on the media that we, we think it's going to, but, um, but sure. I mean, you definitely have to think that, um, you know, that, 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 that Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg have an advantage, um, because they're not going to the Senate and they're not participating in this. But, you know, I thought Bernie Sanders did a really good job last night at an event, in Iowa, where he basically told the surrogates, listen, guys, you're not going to see me for a while. Um, You know, keep fighting for me. I'm empowering you to keep, you know, keep the energy up in the primary and uh, make sure that my supporters get out in caucus. You know, in a way, if you message this effectively, I think you could um, make people even feel a greater sense of urgency in this primary process or this caucus process because your candidate is not going to be there and you really have to step up and, and help, you know, help the candidate that you're supporting. So, um, you know, in a way it could actually have a flip effect. Um, but at the same time, we got to keep in mind, you're not going to see Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar, you know, um, dominating television time because the senators aren't going to be able to ask questions. And um, they have to literally sit in chairs <laughs> without iPhones for 12 hours every day while this process unfolds. And it's got to drive them a little crazy that they're not going to be able to be pressing the flesh in Iowa like they'd like to. Right. I mean, one thing we know about Iowa right now is that there are a lot of people who are undecided. Uh, there are a lot of people who aren't firmly in one person's camp. And these next two weeks are going to be critically important for those people in terms of making up their mind. And when you have three of the top candidates off the trail, that means that they aren't getting that um, earned media. Uh, Their campaigns are obviously going to be doing things to uh, uh, augment, uh, such as uh, deploying surrogates. And that's going to be critically important over the next two weeks. Uh, Doing phoners, you know, calling into radio shows, you know, teletown halls, things like that. But they're not going to be on, um, you know, they're not going to be there getting, you know, generating their own earned media. It's going to be generated by surrogates. I think that's something to pay attention to. But also just a reminder is that even though they're not there, um, you know, all three of them are up with heavy amounts of television uh, in Iowa uh, they're all they've all got very well funded campaigns. So it may you, to your point, it may not be that big of a deal. Um, but I do think just not being there for two weeks, even if they can pop in occasionally, they've got a town hall in Iowa that CNN is sponsoring, I think, uh, 
I believe, um, before uh, before the caucus uh, uh, next weekend. Um, I think it's I think it's important. I think it's a big deal. Well, and I also think, you know, what I'm looking to see is, you know, especially candidates who have the resources, i.e., Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, and I guess Amy Klobuchar too. Like, she raised 11 million in Q4. Are they going to be chartering planes? You know, are they going to be leaving the Senate at 3 a.m. when, assuming Mitch McConnell's, you know, back, you know, like in the middle of the night tactics work, which is also ludicrous in itself, and I think that backfires on the Republicans. But are they going to be leaving at 3 o'clock in the, in the morning, flying to Iowa, doing some early morning campaign events, and then flying back flying here back. for the 1 o'clock? I mean, that is possible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. I'm not it's sure. It's totally the, possible. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And, I, you know, there were some stories about that. But the question is whether or not there's actually, given what we know about the rules of this impeachment trial, whether they actually would have time. Because these things are going so late uh, into the night and then... You know, would they have time? But, you know, uh, we mentioned the importance of surrogates uh, over the next two weeks, particularly for the Senate uh, candidates who aren't going to be there. And that, I think, generate, you know, I think that leads to a conversation about endorsements and how we're starting to see, you know, some really important endorsements come out. Just recently, the New York Times uh, broke with precedent and endorsed two candidates, uh, Mm -hmm. two candidates who they felt were the best representatives of their lane. Uh, Senator Warren and uh, Amy Klobuchar. I wasn't totally uh, surprised that Elizabeth Warren got the endorsement, but I was surprised that they did a, a double, a joint endorsement. Yeah, and they I got was a little bit of slack for that. They yeah. got some heat. I mean, I think uh, you know, look, I think that they should have just picked one person and um, and and made the case for that person. I'm not entirely sure uh, what the you know, like how this is a service to. Well, here's here's but. what I here's though what I, what I think because um, there has been some criticism because they didn't just pick one person, but here's what I think they were trying to achieve, and they've got a real legitimate reason to do this, which is, you know, there are, I mean, obviously the Democratic Party is you know the Democratic Party, but there are two very distinct sets of voters in the Democratic Party: those who want real structural change, those who support Medicare for all, Green New Deal, very progressive. And then the others who are more establishment types that are supporting um, reforming Obama-era policies, but not necessarily completely gutting the system. Mm -hmm. And so I think they were trying to balance that nuance there between those two sectors. I mean, the Republican Party, as we all know, I mean, four in five Republican Party voters not just love Trump, but they are enthusiastic about Trump, right? So the Republican Party is all Trump. I mean, that is... Whether or not some of these moderate Republicans want to admit it, their party is the party of Donald J. Trump. The Democratic Party is, you know, we're kind of in, in a battle for the soul of our party to an extent. And we do have different um, different lanes of supporters. And, you know, really the, the really boils down to the progressive lane versus the establishment lane. And so I think the New York Times was trying to honor that because if if you had seen that in the Republican Party, if they – if there was a fissure there that showed that 40% of Republican primary voters are seeking a more moderate John Kasich type of, um, with all due respect, by the way, to Bill Weld, who's not going anywhere, um, but a more prominent moderate voice to represent their views in Washington, then that might be one thing, but they're not. They are all unified behind Donald Trump for the most part. So I think the New York Times is trying to acknowledge those uh, distinctions. Yeah, but I, you know, I there there are always these fights within the Democratic, but we saw it in 2016. You know, a fight between the Bernie wing of the party and the Clinton wing of the party. We saw it in to some degree in 2008, in 2000, 2000 or in 2004. Like, I guess my point is, it's like you're. 
if you're going to have an opinion, take a pick a lane. Yeah. You know, and and then whoever is the best person in that lane that you think can be the nominee, then you select them. I'm not sure if like saying, well, there's you know we're endorsing two lanes and two people in each lane. I'm not. I'm just not sure what the value that is. Well, and I was on Morning Joe, and I think the last thing on this, I was on Morning Joe yesterday with. Um, Mara Gay, who's one of the New York Times editorial board members. And she was making the case that, you know, they really really went back and forth on this and tried to, you know, determine what made the most sense. But they ultimately decided we're going to present our rationale, but this is really in the hands of the voters. You know, we wanted to have this endorsement out there before one person had cast their vote, um, or at least one person had formally cast their vote. So, you know, um, I think in that sense, it's uh, I see their I see their rationale. Whether or not I agree with it, it's you know I have mixed feelings, but I see their rationale. Another big endorsement came from the Quad City Times for Amy Klobuchar, and uh, this may actually be more important than New York Times editorial because it's a local paper in Iowa. Uh, and then we've seen uh, just recently just you know a series of congressional endorsements. Uh, Terry Sewell. Popular congresswoman in Alabama endorsed Biden. Harley Ruda endorsed Bloomberg. Uh, Jayapal, who's one of the leaders of the Congressional uh, Caucus, uh, Progressive Caucus, uh, chair, uh, joined Mark Pocan to endorse Sanders. So, you know, we're starting to see more movement on the congressional side of things. We're also there have been a series of frontliners, the Democrats in the most uh, difficult districts coming out in support of um, in Biden. So and these are people that are going to be coming to Iowa. We know uh, AOC is going to be coming to (coughs) Iowa for Bernie. And it's Mm -hmm. really important. You know, it's going to be critically important for those campaigns to get those surrogates out there. But do you think in terms of endorsements, what's your sense of like, you know, right now, if you look at the 538 measuring stick for endorsements, Biden has the most points. But, you know, how important do you think endorsements are for the, you know, both for Iowa and for the rest of this campaign? I think in, in a race with um, multiple candidates and no clear front runner, which, you know, you can certainly look at the polls and say, oh, Joe Biden is the front runner nationally, or maybe Bernie Sanders is, depending on which poll you're looking at. Um, but when it comes to Iowa, it is, it is truly a four-way race. Um, so I do think endorsements matter. I also want to throw in that um, Annie Custer from New Hampshire, member of Congress from New Hampshire, and Congressman Dave Lobesack from Iowa both endorsed Mayor Pete Buttigieg re- recently. So those are also two big endorsements there. So I think it matters more in this type of environment than it, d- than it did really in 2016. Um, but look, I will say this. If you have been doing your work over the past year, if you have been laying the groundwork Um, employing the staff throughout the state, um, building a really strong ground operation that will make sure that your caucus goers turn out on caucus night, on uh, election night in Iowa, then you're probably going to weather the storm, Um, as in you have to be back in Washington, D.C. for impeachment. If you've been doing the hard work, then your campaign should be able to sustain this potential blunt. you know, but but at the same time, there's no replacing having a candidate on the ground, and this is where endorsements really do matter. This is where surrogates coming in really do matter, um, because you are going to have to have a campaign operation that um, that can you know run itself without you physically being there as a candidate. I want to transition to just the tone of the campaign. Uh, I think we've certainly seen in the last ten days, two weeks that. It has gotten very combative. Uh, mm-hmm. You've had Bernie versus Biden. You've had Warren versus Bernie. You had before that 
uh, Warren versus Buttigieg, Warren versus Biden. You know, they're really, I think they're all mixing it up now in a way that we hadn't seen for quite some time. Um, you know, I've, I've been surprised by the tone coming out of maybe not necessarily Bernie's campaign, but his supporters. You know, there was this uh, op-ed that was published against Joe Biden by uh, one of his supporters, Zephyr Teach Out. There was, um, you know, this, this video that came out about um, uh, Biden's position on Social Security. Um, you know, and then there was obviously the exchange between him and Warren after the debate. So, look, is this just uh, I mean, is this just typical of where campaigns are 10 days out from uh, Iowa, where they're just all scrapping now and trying to sort of clearly define who they are and what the what the choice is? Yeah, look, this is not ideal. And one of the things that I found very disturbing, and a lot of Democrats found very disturbing, um, is that the hashtag Biden is corrupt has been trending on Twitter. And that is not what you want for any Democrat going into this impeachment trial. This is like the last thing we want. So I think that what some of Bernie's surrogates in particular have done um, by also perpetuating this hashtag is they have created, um, you know, a, a, a situation where we don't feel unified going into the impeachment, that we should make sure that Joe Biden is completely protected um, because it's such a sham, um, you know, investigation in with with multiple debunked scenarios time and time again. Um, so it's not ideal, but but at the same time, I want to give major props to Bernie Sanders for coming out there and apologizing. Um, you know, he acknowledged, and it what, wasn't him who did it; it was a. Supporter. It was not him who so did it, but he and he apologized on behalf of, um, you know, his campaign or whom you know his surrogates, whomever did it, and made it clear that he doesn't think Joe Biden is corrupt. And you know, you don't see that happen very often in politics, where you have an elected official um, or someone running for uh, president who will come out there and acknowledge that, um, you know, acknowledge wrongdoing and, and apologize. So props to Bernie for doing that, um, because we, you know, even though there are fissures in the Democratic Party, and even though this is a real race, you still have the, you know, we don't want to fall prey to what Donald Trump and Rep- the Republicans tactics are right now. And we certainly don't want to have this perpetuation that Joe Biden is corrupt moving through social media, because number one, he's not. <laughs> and number two, this needs to be a unified all hands on deck approach among the Democratic Party when it comes to what's about to happen in the impeachment trial with the, with the senators. We all need to be unified there. You know, uh, the, the polling in Iowa has basically been all over the map. You know, there's some polls that has Bernie, have Bernie up. There's some polls that have Biden up. I wonder if some of the uh, tactics that are being implemented by Ber- the Bernie Sanders world or because there's polling that they have internally that is indicating that they need to bring Biden down a bit. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, it, you, you know, the, the, um, you know, the other polling that I think is important to point out is that, you know, people want to nominate the person they, they can beat Trump, but they right. also want the person who can unite the country. And so for all of these people who are in the middle of these, uh, you know, these fights, uh, that does not send the message that you can unite the if you can't unite the party, how can you unite the country? So that's just one thing that for all of the candidates, Bernie, Biden, Buttigieg, and Warren, to keep in mind that voters, we've seen that there's a sort of a reaction by Democratic primary voters on the negativity between each member, uh, between between the candidates, and that sort of repels them. And I think they want to keep, want these guys to keep it on focused on positivity and on Trump. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that was uh, a quick and dirty episode for the electables. Um, 
And uh, we're going to have a lot in store for you guys over the next couple weeks leading up to Iowa. Uh, so stay tuned. From my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, this is Doug Thornell, and this has been The Electables. See you next time.